Thanks for joining us for episode two of Redefining Justice, a podcast by Action for Sexual Assault Prevention at Tufts. This episode contains the discussion of sexual and domestic violence. Welcome back to the podcast. On this episode, we widen the lens on restorative justice and look at the ways that survivors approach their healing process. While some people seek resolution primarily through a form of justice or reconciliation, others find that the most valuable practice also involves internal healing from trauma. Some survivors seek out therapy or community, artistic expression, advocacy, and more. Today, we're very excited to be meeting with Darby Calm, a certified educator and family mediator. She's completing a PhD in conflict resolution and doing research on Calm Conflict, which is a coaching program that helps individuals prevent and reduce trauma, conflict, and the related embodied symptoms. Darby facilitates circles and peace education practices. She wants to connect conflict resolution students, professionals, and practitioners in order to foster resilience, growth, and deep connection with like-minded people through weekly meetings, discussions, and special events in the community platform. She believes we can prevent and reduce conflict together. Thank you so much for meeting with me, Darby. Hope it all is well. Yeah, likewise. Um, Can we start with you explaining your process a little bit and how you begin with helping a client in healing the body from trauma? Well, I think that the first part in, in any process, especially with healing trauma, is just being aware that it's happened. Um, I work with a lot of, you know, students who are dealing with, with trauma, especially everything that's going on with COVID and education, um, and um, at-risk youth and just not being successful in traditional schools. And I also work with a lot of women who have experienced domestic violence. Um, So we grow up with these ideas of what's normal and what's expected. And, and we kind of live with that, like it's okay. (laughs) Um, And a lot of people like don't even know that they've experienced something traumatic. Like they know it doesn't feel right, but they don't have permission to say this isn't right, you know? So I think that the first part in healing um, trauma in the body is just awareness of it, you know, like what feels off and it's okay to acknowledge that it feels off. It's okay to acknowledge that it's painful, that it, that it doesn't feel good. Um, You don't have to tolerate it or put up with it or stay in an environment that's toxic, you know? Um, And, really like that's what mindfulness is all about being present in each moment and being aware of, of what you're experiencing in each moment um, and acknowledging that. So I think that um, like for me, like knowing, like I, I'm a data person. (laughs) So I like to know the research behind it and there is a large body of research connecting, um, somatic responses in the body and and how past trauma and present trauma affect that and even stress affects that um like peter levine or vander kolk so those are two of like the big ones but there's so much out there that you can read on your own about but um if you're not into <laughs> to doing the research and reading about it just you know, noting, oh, well, my shoulders are tense, or I'm anxious, and I'm feeling that, you know, in my stomach, I'm nauseous, or um, 
just being aware that if you're having some kind of symptom in your body, like, is that tied to a trauma or stress that you're having, you know? Totally. So do, uh, just to elaborate on that with the somatic sort of acknowledgement, do you tend to do a talk, you know, a talk therapy style thing? And then are you mostly treating the trauma as opposed to treating the physical symptom? Well, I'm not, I'm not a trained therapist, first of all. So (laughs) I want to make that very clear. Um, I like for me, like I'm an educator, so I want people to be aware of it. I want to help them understand if you're having these symptoms in your body, it could be because of this and like really facilitate them exploring what works for them and what doesn't work for them. And if they like need a therapist, like a talk therapist or somebody that does EMDR or whatever modality like CBT, you know, like I would definitely refer them to a therapist because that's not something that I am qualified to do. But um, I can lead people and guide people and help coach them to recognize how to be aware of what's going on in their body and, and then give them exercises and practices that they can instill in their lives that might help with those things that they wouldn't get in traditional therapy. Absolutely. It sounds like the, the most important step is, is just acknowledging and getting more in touch with sort of the root cause of these somatic issues. Right. Um, so how would you say this process, you know, this acknowledgement process varies between different survivors like your students versus your domestic abuse survivors or you know it's Uh, yeah it it's it's definitely something that you have to experiment with um even between like say women who have experienced domestic violence they still may be very activated and in the court system on a regular basis and something that would work for them might not work for somebody else. So um, it's, you know, coaching each person I work with to understand, like, listen to your body. If, if you try something and it doesn't feel good, or if it makes your symptoms worse, then hold off on that, (laughs) you know? Um, So I think that's really important because especially something like meditation meditation works very well for me in this phase of of my particular healing journey uh, but it's not a panacea like it does not work for everybody at all times yoga is also something that's um touted to be very restorative and healing but for some people um they're not in that space yet and that's okay so i think that we need to just say try it and see how it feels and if it doesn't feel good then then put it on the shelf and try it again later (laughs) you know right um like the goal is not to make you feel worse or force you into being overwhelmed in your feelings um but to to give you tools that will help you cope cope more effectively um with the students that I'm dealing with like and a lot of it really is getting their basic needs met, you know, like I have a, <laughs> a student 
who's homeless, who doesn't have food. So it's like constantly trying to make sure they have the community resources set up before anything else happens. Like, like that student's not going to be able to focus and get work done until basic needs are met. Same thing with a lot of domestic violence victims. So um, finding out where they are and what kind of, you know, do they need food? Do they need shelter? representation what is it that they need first before they can start their healing and if they are in a place where they're stable enough then we can start exploring you know some of these um modalities like like mindfulness or meditation or breathing or or expressive journaling um but i wouldn't recommend that unless they're like a little bit stable first (laughs) you know Absolutely. Yeah. yeah so Awesome. So it sounds like is is most of what your work based around is that sort of internal healing, because I wanted to do this particular interview with you because um, our podcast is focusing on restorative and transformative justice as, um, you know, an option or an alternative to traditional punitive justice, but, um, you know, focusing on the the self and the survivor, you know, inside and, and healing from within, as opposed to sort of seeking some sort of um, reconciliation outwardly, do, do you feel like one can be more valuable? Or is there space for a combination of both? I do think it's a combination. And um, speaking as a survivor, I've been, <laughs> I've been in both places, I've wanted you know, I've wanted punitive justice, um, but I was also not in a good place in my own healing journey at that time, you know? Um, yeah. Now I understand the the court system more, and it unfortunately does not always protect survivors or serve justice like like people expect it to. So... There's a lot of, um, I think, managing of expectations. Like, I'm a realist. And so <laughs> the people that I work with, like, I try to, to, to help them manage their expectations. Because if you go to court as a domestic violence victim, you expect certain things. And then those things don't happen. And then you're in court for another 10 years, you know. <laughs> and and right. that just doesn't doesn't go well. And it doesn't mean that I agree with the system or support the system or, you know, but like I'm, my personal goal is to, to try to change what I can in the system from the inside out. Um, But I think that it's a fine line between restorative justice and, and the people that I work with because schools or courts may say, oh, do this, but they're either saying it as like a a checklist, like, okay, well, we tried that and it didn't work. Like they're not actually implementing it well. Um, Or they're forcing it on people. And like that goes against (laughs) what restorative justice is, you know, like everybody has has to be bought into the, the process in order for it to work. Like, and if not, everybody is bought into the process, then, then it shouldn't be done. 
So I think that, um, I think that, you know, first of all is managing expectations and, and knowing that if you look at like the inner work, you know, that people have to go through in order to heal, um, a court system is most likely not going to help with that. <laughs> um, yeah. So, and not everybody can afford professional services and you really do have to take on a lot of the work and put in the time and do it yourself. And it's hard because I am in no way victim blaming or wanting to put more in a victim, but it's something that every victim has to go through and come to a point and be like, okay, well, this is where I'm at. These people are not going to help me. How can I move forward? You know, and knowing that, that traditional justice in form of like what you would expect a court system to do or the legal system to do may never happen, you know? So I think that in order to find peace, you have to accept just things for where they're at and manage your expectations. Um, especially when there's systems that, that will let you down, you know, like that's what structural violence is, is, is you not reaching your potential and knowing that the education system or the court system could and probably will let you down. Um, <laughs> um, you have to like get what you can out of it and then accept it and move on from there. So that that's hard for some people that just hold on to that. I'm going to fight until I get what I de- deserve. Like, is it really worth your energy and time and money and your peace, you know? So totally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it sounds like what your work is, is helping with as well is of course, healing from the initial trauma, right. but also with supporting a survivor with sort of that traumatic sort of experience of going through some sort of seeking of justice, right. like supporting it, the trauma that goes along with maybe being in the court system or whatever form of reconciliation they're seeking. Definitely. Like the, the court system itself is a trauma <laughs> yeah. of its own. I mean, no, no one prepares domestic violence victims for for family court. I mean, they're like, oh, you should leave. And then, and then you're hit with the court system, which could be almost worse than, than staying, you know? So, um, knowing what to expect and how to prepare for it differently and, um, how to navigate it is something that I'm very passionate (laughs) about helping people with. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So in, you know, in our research on restorative justice, we're seeking alternatives to this um, traditional punitive justice, which, of course, is, as you're saying, very traumatic. But um, yeah, I really appreciate that your work is sort of some, a realistic and tangible thing that survivors can do right now while we're waiting on kind of this, you know, societal shift that is required for some sort of big change in the way we view um, domestic abuse, sexual assault, et cetera, mm-hmm. and trauma. Um, 
what so this is a little bit of a broad question but um how does one maintain a healthy life after trauma or you know going even as far as after they worked with you and and worked on their mindfulness and whatever practices stick with them um well i think i think what's important to know is like every single one of us, like our lives will never be free from trauma. Like it will, we will never be free from stress or, or free from (laughs) a conflict. Like there, there's always going to be those things in our lives. So it's a matter of recognizing it, like when it's happening and recognizing how it's affecting our physical and mental health, you know, and Mm -hmm. building and maintaining those healthy coping mechanisms. Um, and using mindfulness, like being aware in each moment. So, um, you know, like knowing if you're mentally or physically not feeling well, if you're not as productive as usual, like check in with yourself and be like, okay, well, why am I not feeling this way? Maybe it was an anniversary of something like years ago, you know, like that you're not even like thinking about like the the anniversary of an assault you know but your body remembers and your body may be off that week um so it's important to to think about why you may have been triggered and just um checking in with those reminders and and making extra time for yourself around certain dates or um certain things that you have to do like court (laughs) You know, um, if you know, like things will be activating for you, like give yourself extra time (laughs) to process that. Take time off of work, you know, schedule in extra self-care, whatever works for you. Um, And definitely if, if you are extra activated, like ongoing and it's not getting better, like seek professional help, like go to therapy or join a group or whatever it is that, that, that works for you. So I think it's an ongoing thing and just knowing um, if you have experienced things in the past and you do notice symptoms in your body, you know, whether it's ongoing inflammation or, or, you know, just, being extra tight, like whatever it is to, to pay attention to it and try to find out like, why am I feeling this right now? You know, and, and practicing and experimenting with self-care and self-practices that, that can help reduce those symptoms. Absolutely. So how, I hope this question makes sense, but let me know if you need, if it's unclear. Um, how do we sort of incorporate uh, non-survivors, allies, perpetrators, everyone, how do we incorporate them into a supportive community that uplifts survivors in their process of healing and helping them understand that trauma lies within the body and the physical state? Yeah, I think this is a really important question because trauma in itself can be generational, you know, intergenerational. They've Mm -hmm. shown studies um, with 
some of the Holocaust survivors have passed down genes. Um, so, but not only trauma, but healing can be intergenerational. And we're not islands, you know, like we're all, we're not isolated. We're all interconnected. And I think that it's so important that, you know, when I'm reaching out to say a student that needs help, I'm not just reaching out to the student. I'm reaching out to the family. I'm reaching out to the friends, you know, um, to make those connections. And it's the same thing in the DV community. Like when I am referred a mom, it's not just the mom, like I'm involved with the kids, I'm involved with, you know, other supportive friends or lawyers that might need help understanding what, um, what's going on, you know, and trauma and the physical symptoms, it doesn't hurt just the victim, like it hurts the entire family unit, it hurts the community. So, um, collectively, this is something we need to address on a community level, <laughs> you know, make sure like whatever we're doing to help the people who are suffering isn't helping just those individuals, but helping the community there. And because that's where they're at and we have to meet people where they're at. Absolutely. Yeah. And with everything that's going on <laughs> in the U S right now, um, and over the past few years, I think it's just so important to, to acknowledge, like, a lot of us are suffering, you know, <laughs> um, and to get to be patient with ourselves and to give ourselves extra time and to give each other extra time and just be supportive and listen and um, say, my trauma is valid, but your trauma is also valid, you know, Absolutely. like, we don't have to agree on everything, but, but we can agree that we are both suffering or we all have suffered recently. And, and this is what we can do for one another. So um, that's definitely important <laughs> right now, I think. Um, I want to ask you one more question. Um, I, um, on your description of your job, your last sentence is that you believe we can prevent and reduce conflict together. So what can I do? What can a listener do? And what can we take from you as sort of moving forward on how to reduce conflict and how to open ourselves up to have more empathy towards survivors? Oh, definitely. I mean... I grew up as a, you know, avoidant to conflict. I still avoid conflict, but I've come to learn that it's just a part of life, you know, and the, the way that we react to it can either increase the conflict or reduce the conflict. So I think just being aware of your own personal reactions to conflict is like awareness is key. <laughs> Um, is important like and if somebody approaches you if it's a family member or if it's somebody at school or somebody in your community and you know that you're in conflict with them on a regular basis like how is your body reacting 
do you need to step back from that and say, now is not a good time, you know, like, so there are little steps we can take without having a lot of tools in in our tool belt to just prevent conflict before it escalates and gets out of control. Um, so just being aware of our own personal reactions to, to stress and conflict is the number one thing I would recommend right now, because you don't have to know anything extra other than how you're feeling, you know? (laughs) So if your heart starts to race or, or you get really tense, like pay attention to that and be like, okay, well, this is not a good time. Let's, let's address this when we're both calm, you know? Um, And then, and then if you do need extra help, like seek out community mediators or um, guidance counselors or um, people in your area or people online, you know, feel free to shoot me an email or connect with me on social media um, and ask questions because there's tons of people out there like me who want to help reduce conflict and want to help, you know, overall stress levels in our country. So I think connection is, is, you know, awareness is the first thing and connection is like the other thing. So if we really want to prevent, reduce conflict, stay connected with people that can, can help. Um, Is there anything else you'd like to add? I can shout out your email or your, um, or your website or, If you want to do that, go ahead. Um, Well, Darby Calm is where you can get a hold of me um, on social and also my website. It's just D-A-R-B-Y-C-A-L-M. And stay tuned for my upcoming Calm Conflicts program. I'm really excited about it. (laughs) Awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you so, so much for coming on the podcast and and sharing your insight. I think this was really informative and I really appreciate your time. Great. Thank you.